Good morning, church. Have you ever experienced a then God moment in your life? You know what I'm talking about? One of these moments where things were going one way and they should have turned out a certain way, but somehow, and you can't explain it, things went differently. You know, someone was sick and then they got healed. Someone, it was a broken relationship and it got restored. Uh, It was a financial situation that looked bleak and all of a sudden the money came through. And, and, And if I were to ask you to tell me the story, you would tell me the story in such a way that there would be a moment and you would say, I can't explain it. I don't know how it happened. All I can tell you is that at some point I was on my knees crying out to God and then it happened. Then God did Honestly, what only he could have done, because there's no other way to explain what happened. I'm really glad you're here this morning. Today is, is our last message in this series called Do Good, Be Brave, as we've looked at the story of Moses and this idea of the rise and the fall of courage and how that works out in our lives as individuals and how that works out in our lives as a church, as a gathering of people um, who are trying to follow Jesus together. And today it may be It may be the crescendo moment. It may be the most important moment of the whole series, and I'm really glad you're here. I know some of you have been in and out with the busyness of summer, so if that's you, let me catch you up real quick. Here's what we've discovered. We started five weeks ago, and we discovered right off the bat that the fear of God leads us to love. And then we saw that love leads us to be brave, and then courage leads us to obedience, and obedience leads us to deliverance. And today the question I want to ask is, what then, what does deliverance lead to? Because deliverance should lead somewhere. Deliverance should lead to something. It should lead to something in your, your life, and it should lead to something in my life. It should lead to, to something for us as a church. You can't experience deliverance and just walk away with a grateful heart. No, that's not deliverance. Deliverance leads somewhere. But what happens so often in your life, in my life, in the life of of a church, is that we get stuck. Deliverance should take us somewhere, but all of a sudden we get stuck. We can't get traction. We start looking back instead of looking forward. And because of that, all of a sudden we find ourselves in, in no man's land, in limbo between deliverance and freedom, our past and our future. And we're stuck. And maybe this morning you're here and you're like, man, yeah, you're singing my song. I just feel stuck. Uh, a couple of days ago, I guess it was last week, uh, I went out and I got in my truck like I do every morning and, you know, put my keys in the ignition to crank it up and was ready to go to work. And immediately I knew something was wrong. Uh, my, my rear view mirror was missing. It was like hanging from that cord dangling uh, in the middle. And I was like, uh-oh, you know, what do I do? I, gotta, I, gotta, I got stuff to do. I got appointments. I got to get to church. I don't have time to fix this. I don't know how to duct tape this. So, you know, what do you do? So I just took it down and I threw it in the floorboard. And I thought, okay, I'm going to see if I can drive around town uh, in my truck without a rear view mirror, you know. And, and I'll, I'm happy to report I'm still alive. Um, it can happen. I, I found myself checking my side mirrors a little more often. I found myself doing, you know, more of this, you know, a little head check at, at the back windshield to make sure I knew what was behind me. But the good news is, in case, just public service announcement, if this ever happens to you, you can drive your vehicle without a rear view mirror. Do you know why? Because in order for you to drive, in order for you to get from where you are to where you want to go, it's more important that you look, you know, forward than backward. Do we need to check? What's behind us? Absolutely. Do we need a rear view mirror to know what's in the past? You bet. 
but you can't move forward if you're always looking back. And this is so true, I think, in so many of our lives. For a lot of us this morning, and for a lot of churches, maybe even for our church, the reason sometimes we get stuck, the reason you get stuck in your life and I get stuck in my life, is because we're trying to drive a car and all we're doing is staring at the rearview mirror. And I'm telling you, you can't get to where you want to go if you're looking back. It's only when we look forward. And this is a problem. And you know what the problem is? The problem is God. The problem is God because God has a plan and a desire for your life. We know the truth from his word that he wants to do immeasurably more than you could ask or dream of or imagine in your life for your good, for his glory, for the spread of his gospel. But he can't do that if you're looking back. He wants to do immeasurably more than we could ask for, dream of, or imagine in this church, in Riverside, at Riverside, for the benefit of his church, for the spread of his gospel, for the glory of his name. But no church ever followed God into his mission looking back. No person ever followed God into his desire for their life looking back. God is the problem in the equation because God has such a strong desire for you and I to experience deliverance and for it to lead us to what is maybe, no it is, the most important thing. And this is why I love so much the story, if you've been tracking with us, of Moses and the Israelites and the story of the Exodus and them leaving 400 plus years of slavery and bondage uh, and, and, and torture and their cries being heard by God and then, then him leading them out of all of that into freedom. And their deliverance led to maybe the most important thing deliverance can lead to. And that's what I want us to look at today. So if you've got your Bible, I, I want to... Here's the disclaimer. We're going to be trucking through a big part of the story today, so grab on tight and and hold on. Here we go. Exodus 13. This is maybe the most famous part of the story, and let me tell you, it's a great story. Will was asking me, my son was asking me on the way to church, hey, what story are you walking through today? And I told him, he's like, oh, that's a great story. It's a great story. (laughs) If you've never heard it, you're going to love it. At this point in the story, Pharaoh has finally agreed to let the people of Israel go. He, he sent Moses a text in the middle of the night and said, I'm done, get out of here. And they did. They ran away in the middle of the night and they are on their way out of Egypt, on their way into freedom. And I want you to hear what happens in the story. We're going to start in Exodus 13. We're going to pick up in verse 17. And it goes like this. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. I know those were a lot of verse, a lot of words in those two verses, so let me just pull out a few for you to look at, and I want you to see this important truth. When God, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God led them toward. Now, I know what you think the story's about. If you're anything like me, you've always thought the story's about what God was delivering them from. That the story was always about God delivering them from their Egyptian captors. God was working to deliver them from their oppression, from their slavery, from their, their pain, their torture, their sad song. But that's not what the story's about. 
This story is about what God, not what he was delivering them from, but what he was delivering them toward. God was on mission to deliver them toward something. That's because God's deliverance is never just about deliverance from something. It's always about deliverance for something. And maybe even in your own life, you've misunderstood this truth. God, if he's working to set you free, and he's working to set all of us free, by the way, he's not trying to deliver you from something. He's at work to deliver you for something. God delivers. He leads us forward. He leads us toward. And God is setting the people of Israel free after 400 years of oppression for something, not just from something. The story goes on. Verse 20. The Israelites left Succoth and and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them, and he guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided a light at night with a pillar of fire. And this allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. So after... After nearly 400 years of it feeling, of it seeming like God was absent, God wanted to be present in the most literal, tangible, visible way possible. And you'll have to use your imagination here. I can't even imagine it. What would it have been like to be there that day and to see the literal, physical presence of God in this cloud? To see this literal, physical presence of God at night lit up, light up the sky by fire, and wherever it went, you followed. It was the literal, physical presence of God. And don't miss this, as long as they kept their attention on the presence of God, they would be led into deliverance. Their attention, immediately following their deliverance, determined their direction, their future. And the same is true, church, for us. The direction of your attention after your deliverance always determines your future. And when you keep your attention on the presence of God, you can follow that right into your deliverance. But what happens next is what happens so many times. You've heard this story over and over again. Maybe you've even experienced this in your own story. When you're walking through your own deliverance from whatever it is you're trying to experience deliverance from, there's always resistance. And it's at the moment of resistance that we face maybe the toughest question. Exodus 14, verse 5, we pick up the story. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done Letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. Remember, they've been there for like 400 years. This is their slave labor force. Pharaoh's thinking, this is crazy. I can't let these people go. It will destroy our economy. It will ruin Egypt. We will no longer be a world power. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased After the people of Israel, who had left with fist raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's armies, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The entire Egyptian army is going to be in pursuit of the runaway slaves. The Egyptians caught up with him, with the people of Israel, as they were camped beside the shore of Pihahirath, across from Baal Zephon. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, The people of Israel looked up in the rearview mirror and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. 
They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen? While we were still in Egypt, we said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Isn't this what happens whenever we look up in the rearview mirror and we see the resistance coming? We get scared, and we should. Freedom is scary. Deliverance is scary. Your enemies are scary. Your addictions are scary. Your past is scary. To have to fight for your life is scary. The unknown future is scary. And sometimes what we do is we look back and we remember things better than they were. You've probably never done this, but I know I have, you know. You look back and you romanticize the way it was five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And and you don't remember all the bad parts. You just remember how good it was in the good old days. And you look back and you think, oh, if we could just go back to that. And right here in the moment, there's a lot to be afraid of. And it's in this moment where all of Israel has to answer one question. And maybe it's the question you have to answer today as well. Will you trust God? Will you trust God? When there's a Red Sea in front of you, a body of water that is impassable. And when your enemies are coming up behind you. When it's one of those moments where you know how this story is about to end and it doesn't end well for you, will you trust God? Will you trust God? Will you believe what you say you believe? Or has this whole thing just been a charade make you feel like a better person will you trust God I love what Moses says here Moses has had a lot of ups and downs and there's a lot that we can shake our heads at but verse 13 this may be his moment I mean you can imagine this right every man in camp is looking for a stick to pick up he can use as a club a rock to throw in self-defense Every woman and child is in tears, crying, grabbing onto their kids, hoping against hope that there's a way out of this. Moses tells the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see in the rearview mirror today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Well, if you underline in your Bible or highlight on your app, you may want to do that here. Just stay calm. Moses didn't say prepare for battle. He didn't call for all the men to come up front and all the women and children to get behind. He didn't even say run for your lives, go find a cave to hide in, go find a place to take refuge. Moses knew what what we know in this moment, what all of them probably knew too, that if God didn't do something in this moment, they were dead meat. This was the end. With the Red Sea before them and the Egyptian army behind them, there's only one way this story should have gone. 
The Egyptian warriors are going to walk in and kill everyone they can. And those they don't kill, they're going to capture and return back to Egypt as slaves. And in the face of all that, Moses says, chill out. Stay calm. Because you're about to see God do one more thing for you. You will never forget. And I think it's a powerful reminder that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is nothing. I know we say things like pray like it's all up to God and work like it's all up to you. But the truth is, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to stand still. To watch God fight for you. And I know in our culture... In our version of American Christianity that goes against what we believe, we feel like we've got to do it. We've got to fix it. We've got to solve it. We've got to figure it out. Sometimes, church, the most spiritual, most powerful thing we can do is stay calm, stand still, and watch God do what only God can do. Verse 21. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea. And the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. Then the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers, chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and cloud. And he, God did this, he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels. Can you see this? Making their chariots, chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. They even knew that the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and their charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea, and water rushed back into its usual place. And the Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers. The entire army of Pharaoh, of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel, they had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And as the water stood up like a wall on both sides, that is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites, get this, saw They saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. They saw it. They saw what God did that day. This was their then God moment. There was no other way this could have gone. There was no other way to explain it. 
And I know maybe you've heard this story since you were a kid or you saw it at VBS or maybe you've even seen the movie, but it doesn't do it justice. The fact that God delivered over a million people through a body of water that was impassable on dry ground and then allowed those same waters to rush back in at just the right time so that not one Israelite would perish, but every Egyptian would fall that day. And you know this is a story. This then God moment in their story is a story that they told their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's children because it was a story of the day God did what only God can do and God saved them. And so many times when we tell the story, you know what we do? We stop right here. But when we do that, we miss the best part of the story. And I don't even know if you've read the next verse. I don't know if you know what happens next. But the best part is what's about to happen. The whole story, if you go back to five weeks ago when we started the story, before Moses was even born with these two Hebrew midwives that decided to disobey the Pharaoh's orders and not kill every Hebrew boy. This is where that story began. And that story was leading up to this moment in this story where what's about to happen is going to happen because of the deliverance of God. This is the one thing that's more important than every other thing. Verse 31. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with, can we say this word together? Awe. They were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior and Yahweh is his name. And the song goes on by the way. What happened? After deliverance, was that the people stood in awe of what God had done and they worshiped. The fear of God leads to love. Love leads us to courage. Courage leads us to obedience. Obedience leads us to deliverance. And deliverance leads us to worship. This is what happens. This is what happened in their story. It's what happens in our story. Because what happens when you experience the unparalleled deliverance of God is you erupt in unbridled worship. And some of you may say, well, I don't don't like to sing. It's not my spiritual gift. It doesn't really matter. When you experience death to life, when you experience things should have gone this way and then it got turned around in a miraculous way, you respond In song, you start to jump, you start to dance. This is what happens when you experience the deliverance of God. So, small story. This is not by any means important. But last night, Will and I were on our way to a birthday party, and we thought, hey, we could swing down by Globe Life Park and pick up a bobblehead real quick, because it's, you know, it's Pudge's night. It'd be great to get a bobblehead. So I get on StubHub, get two tickets for 15 bucks, you know. We get down there, and we park at the $5 parking far, far away because we don't want to spend any money. We can't stay for the game. We're just stopping to get a bobblehead. We're going to move on to the party. I know. 
We get in the little uh, shuttle van, and it's full of people, and the driver tells us, hey, you guys need to know. I mean, we're there two hours before game time, and, and he says, there's literally like already 15,000 people at the park. I've never seen it like this. It's crazy. And we're like, oh, no. We, we, I've spent all this money. We're not going to get a bobblehead. This is the worst thing ever. What am I going to tell Alicia? This is going to be terrible. We're driving down there, and sure enough, the closer we get to the park, the more fans we see. And, and they're not even supposed to open the doors yet, but I already see people walking out with stacks of bobbleheads, and I'm mad at them because I want one. And, 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 the, and the van driver is like, uh, you know, I can't let you out here. I've got to pull around here and park in a special place before you can get out. And all of us in the van are like, just let us out, man. He's like, if I do that, I'll get a ticket, and, you know, I'm just driving for tips. But the anxiety in the van is rising. I mean, this is real, people. <laughs> And finally, the driver's like, all right, all right, I'm going to chance it. You guys go. Make a run for it. So we pop the door. Me and Willa run out like bandits through traffic. We get inside real quick. We scan our tickets. And sure enough, we get to the people with the boxes of bobbleheads, and they're all gone. Hearts sunk. Utter defeat. Demoralized. I feel like a failure as a father. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, buddy, let's... Let's just walk around the stadium to the other entrances. Maybe, maybe there's another entrance where they're going to have some more bobbleheads, you know. And so we walk around and come to the, the next entrance, and sure enough, they're just cutting down the cardboard boxes. There's none left. Defeat, depression. We keep walking to the next entrance, and I see a guy walking with a stack of like 12. And I, I literally ask him, hey, can I buy one of those for me for my son? He says, no, they're all taken. I'm like, Thanks. <laughs> You're not going to heaven. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I thought it. We keep walking. Next entrance, no bobbleheads. Astro fans are carrying bobbleheads. I'm like, seriously, you don't want that. <laughs> Sorry, Jason. You know, and at this point, I'm like, Will, let's just go. Let's get out. This is not, this is, I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm acting like I'm sorry for him, but it's really me that's the most upset, you know? <gasps> And, uh, and at this point, we're just looking for an exit. We're looking to get out of the park. I'm done. I want to walk the mile and a half back to where I parked back in Europe so we can go home. <gasps> and he's like, let's just let's keep going. So we walked around, and we're about to exit. And then we see the entrance by um, center field, and apparently no one comes in there. And I look up, and they've got, like, boxes and boxes of bobbleheads. And I'm thinking, could it be? Like, I've, I've actually been praying about this. <laughs> God. We, I, we'd love to walk out of here. With, I mean, it'd make my son so happy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, there's no way this is real. And so I walk up, and I'm like, hey, I've got tickets, but we didn't get a bobblehead. Can I get a bobblehead? And she's like, sure. How many tickets do you have? And I showed her, I've got two, me and my son. She's like, here you go. Boom. And immediately in that moment, we started dancing. <laughs> this, was, this was the moment. This was it. It was awesome. And we're walking out, and Will, we're laughing, and we're, you know, you know it's been sorrow has turned into to, to joy, mourning into dancing. It's all of that. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, Will, man, aren't you just so glad just God smiled on us? He's like, man, I'm glad my dad's a preacher. <laughs> I don't know that that had anything to do with it. This is what happens. When you have that moment of deliverance, when you were expecting defeat and then victory came, this is what happens in all of us, right? It rises up inside of us. This joy, this song, this worship, 
It's what happens in every one of us. And some of you have been to the literal edge, and maybe it was cancer, maybe it was financial, maybe it was relational. I don't know. Some of you have been there, and you have the story to tell of how things should have gone one way. The Red Sea was before you, and your enemies were behind you, and you thought it was going to end in death and failure and demise or whatever, and it didn't. And you have that story, you have that then God moment, and you look back on that, and every time you do, you erupt again in praise because of what God did for you. And even if you don't have that story, you probably have this story if you're here this morning. Because if you're like me and you're here today, there was a moment in your life when, when the reality of what Jesus did for you hits you. And if I were to ask you today, you could tell me the moment that it became real for you. You can tell me the moment where you were at camp or on a mission trip or in worship or in your room with a Bible and you were on your knees and you couldn't stop it. You couldn't contain it. You just began to cry. And you don't cry, but you did cry because you were overwhelmed with the incredible love of God and the grace and mercy of Jesus on the cross. And when you came face to face with the cross and you realized the reality and the gravity of your sin, that you should, because of your sinful condition, because of what you've done, because of the mistakes you've made, the choices you've made, because of that, you deserve deserve death but Jesus and his mercy and love and his grace and his forgiveness went to the cross for you he didn't sin but he took on your sin he who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God you realize that wasn't just a story that was your story that Jesus literally went literally went to the cross and he died for you And that moment of deliverance, that moment of set freeness sets you free to worship. And it's not just thanks God. It's not just a grateful heart. No. The only response is worship. What else can you do but worship when you come to the reality and the gravity of what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did for you? That he left heaven and came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a criminal's death on a cruel cross. He was buried for three days and then somehow... By God's amazing grace, he was raised three days later. And now he reigns in heaven and he reigns in our hearts and we praise God. Amen, church? This is the moment of worship. This is what happens to you and me when we experience deliverance. What else can we do but worship when we realize what Jesus Christ has done for us? And the truth is, on that day, a few thousand years ago, God delivered his people from oppression, through water, into deliverance, into the promised land. And right here today, God is still delivering people from slavery, from oppression, from addiction, from brokenness, through water, into freedom. That's why these waters behind me are here every week. Because we believe when you step into the water, that's where you find deliverance. That's where you find rescue. That's where you find salvation. That's where you are set free. And some of you, for whatever reason, are here today and you've never done that. And I want to invite you to do that. I would even say do that today. What would stop you from stepping into the freedom and the deliverance that is offered through Jesus Christ by God and his grace and mercy that when you walk through these waters, yeah, just like those Israelites, you're going to walk, you're going to come to them as as a slave and you're going to walk through them and and exit into new life. You're going to enter these waters 
as a shadow of your former self. And you're going to come out alive in Christ. The Bible says a new creation. Would you step into those waters today? Church, I want to invite you to stand. I want to invite the praise team back on stage. Because we're going to end this morning in worship. Because of what Jesus has done for us, I want us this morning to stand in awe of the cross and I want us to worship. And I'm also going to invite our elders and their wives, those who are here today, to make their way around the room. And this morning, if you need deliverance, if you want to step from darkness into light, from your oppression into your freedom, into that deliverance we've talked about, if you've never done that and you want to be baptized, please, man, come, let's do that today. Experience the freedom that is available in Jesus Christ, the deliverance that is only there through him. But maybe for some of us, you've, you've done that, but you still feel like you are just, well, let's be honest. You're trying to drive your car looking in the rearview mirror. And it's time, it's time to just take that thing off the windshield and look forward. And drive forward into the life that God has for you. And if for any reason this morning, if you feel like you need deliverance, if for any reason this morning you feel like you were living under oppression or in bondage or you're living in a way that is, you know it's not a life of freedom. I want to invite you to go and find one of these men and their wives and just pray with them. I really do. Because what I want to be true of this church today and every day is that we're a worshiping church and that happens. That happens when the fear of God leads us to love, when love leads us to be brave, when courage leads us to obedience, and obedience leads us to deliverance, and then deliverance leads us to worship. And for us to be a worshiping church, it means that we have to be a delivered church. So today, let's not walk out of these doors not delivered. And for the rest of us who are living in deliverance today, I want you to sing like you've never sung before. I want you to stand in awe of the one who gave it all and lift your voice in praise and worship to Jesus Christ. I want the sound to travel out of these walls into our city. I want people to hear because we are singing the song of those who have been delivered, those who have been saved. Man, wherever you are today, whatever's going on in your life, let's just praise God for who he is and what he has done in us. Let's sing.